Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. But we start off Holy Week today. Holy Week is the, the most important week of the Christian calendar. Uh, it starts with Palm Sunday and then leads into Good Friday, where Jesus was crucified, Holy Saturday, uh, where Jesus was in the tomb over the weekend, and then Sunday morning, where he rises again. Today, we're going to be talking about the paradox of Palm Sunday. Now, a paradox is something where it's like two things that seem to not be able to be true at once, and yet they are. If I were to say to you, I see unseen things, you would think, well, that's a paradox. You can't see unseen things, but you can see things like love, right? You can tell when someone's in love, but love is not something you see. So you are seeing some unseen things. Now, Jesus often taught in paradoxes. Jesus said things like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. So he often taught using paradoxes. But Holy Week shows us, and, and Palm Sunday as well, that Jesus is himself a paradox. Because as he goes in on Palm Sunday, he's celebrated as a king. But by the end of the week, Friday, he will be crucified as a criminal. With that in mind, let's read Matthew 21, 1 through 11, as we look at the triumphal entry of that first Palm Sunday, and we look at the paradox of Palm Sunday. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find the donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds went ahead of Jesus, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. God's word. I want to ask you this week as we start Holy Week, who is Jesus? You know, some people say he was a great teacher. Uh, some people say that Jesus was a great example. Uh, still others say, you know what, he's someone who practiced what he preached. But I, I want to throw a little spin on that question, who is Jesus? I'm not just asking who is Jesus to you, but who is he really? What description of him would he be comfortable with you giving about him? Today, uh, is the we look at the triumphal entry, the passage I just read from Matthew 21. You see, the, the Jewish people celebrated Passover that time where they were thankful that God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And they all went to Jerusalem to celebrate together. 
and many people traveled from far parts of the country or other countries. But as people got close to Jerusalem, uh, crowds began to form on the paths as, as the crowds would bottleneck into the city of Jerusalem. And there, in the midst of it all, uh, emerges Jesus. Jesus emerges on this colt, and a celebration begins. A celebration of Jesus uh, begins. Now, we find that he has commanded his disciples to go ahead. Uh, before they even got to the city, before they even cleared the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his disciples into a city called Bethpage to get a, a colt, a, a purebred, unwritten baby donkey. And there the mother donkey was there with the donkey. Now, the reason that Jesus did this is because he is signaling something. He is signaling who he is to the crowds. The reason he's riding that donkey is because he is fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Daughter Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Jesus doesn't say anything on the procession into Jerusalem from Bethpage, but as he descends down the Mount of Olives and through the Kidron Valley and up the Mount to the holy city of God, he is announcing who he is. He is signaling to the crowds that that king that was prophesied about 500 years ago, it's him. It's him. Jesus is saying, it is me. One theologian called this premeditated self-promotion by Jesus. He's saying, do you remember that king who was prophesied about 500 years ago, who was going to come and defeat the enemies of God's people? That is me. And the crowd knows, they understand that he is fulfilling a prophecy. And so Jesus accepts their celebration. He doesn't say, oh, little old me, don't do your palm fronds down on the ground like that. Don't put your cloaks down. No, no, no. Jesus accepts their celebration because he is announcing himself as the king. Uh, but there's a paradox to this king. There's a paradox in his promotion. There's mystery in the way that he announces himself. If you've ever watched a pro wrestling match, you know what happens before the actual fight, before the actual match. There's a curtain with a ramp, and the lights go off in the stadium, and a spotlight shines on that curtain. All of a sudden, the curtain opens up, and the announcer announces the presence of the baddest dude. And that guy comes out, and for some reason, they're always greasy and sweaty. I'm not sure why. But he comes down the, the ramp, pointing everyone to himself. I'm great. I'm going to destroy my opponent. And then he gets into the ring, and he stomps around and gets everyone's attention. And eventually, at some point, he climbs up on those uh, on the ropes and holds his arms out to the crowd and points to himself. It's interesting. It's kind of ridiculous if you think about what's going, actually going on. But compare that, uh, the, the wrestler entering in the ring for battle with, with Jesus, the coming king. In verse 5, it says, see, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Now by gentle, it doesn't just mean kind, it means meek and lowly. Jesus doesn't enter into Jerusalem on a war horse, but on a lowly donkey. 
It's almost as if he's pointing people to himself and yet at the same time, not sitting an inch higher than he has to. Now, this is the opposite of a humble brag. You know what a humble brag is? It's when we pretend to humble ourselves in order to really promote ourselves. It's we pretend to be humble in order to really show our greatness. You know, you see this at award shows where actors or musicians win awards and they're like, I'm just so humbled by the fact that I won all seven of these awards. I can't believe that little old me won seven awards. I'm just so honored. That's a humble brag. Jesus is doing the opposite of a humble brag, though, because he's drawing attention to himself to show his humility. But it's not just to show his humble spirit. He's drawing attention to himself to point people to his humiliation. See, he sits slightly above the crowds on a colt, but he will be raised on a cross for all to see. Though he travels up to the city of Zion in honor on Sunday, his path is ultimately down to the grave in shame on Friday. And that's the great paradox of this king. He is absolutely confident in announcing himself to the crowds, but he gets their attention to point to his humiliation. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. There's another paradox, though. We see it in verse 9. In verse 9, the crowds who went ahead of him and shouted, or went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, that word Hosanna translates as, save us, we pray. And at that time, Israel was not in power over themselves. The Roman Empire ruled over most of the known world, including Israel. And so when this king marches into the city, the people are saying, save us, we pray, because they want to be saved from the empire that is oppressing them, that is ruling over God's promised land, that they had been promised by God. And Jesus rides into their cheers because he has come to save. But what's interesting is he doesn't really seem like he's going to make war. Because, listen, if you, if you start a war, one of the principles of starting a war, one of the strategies is called shock and awe. And shock and awe warfare is, as soon as the battle starts, you throw everything you can at that other side. You show them all your firepower, you fire missiles and everything you can to shock them and put them in awe of your strength so that they have nowhere to go and they wave the white flag. And so if Jesus was going in to to do warfare to, to save Israel from their enemies, we would expect that the first place he would go would be to find a Roman outpost with Roman soldiers to rally the troops and say, let's go to freedom. Except the first place he doesn't go, he goes, is not a Roman outpost. It's the temple. After he gets inside the city, he, he goes to the temple and, and clears out the court of the Gentiles. He goes to the place 
that is Israel's pride and joy. The, the temple of God, the touch point between heaven and earth, the place where God dwells. He goes into the temple and he clears the money changers out and he confronts the religious leaders. It's almost as if he's making war against God's people rather than God's enemies. And we know that by the end of the week, he will actually be hanging on a cross that was invented by the Romans. This is not shock and awe at all. And that's the paradox. Jesus has come to save. He has come to be victorious. But he's come to save by sacrificing himself in what looks like utter defeat. He's come to sacrifice himself in what looks like utter defeat to the very enemies that the people think he is going to save them from, the Romans. And so, of course, people in the midst of this paradox, people were confused throughout the Holy Week. N.T. Wright puts it this way. You can put that quote up. The people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation by the rich. Who is this? He's a paradox. He he announces himself to point to his humiliation, and he promises to save by sacrificing himself in defeat. The paradox of the king, though, leads to the paradox of the crowds who had just celebrated him. See, by the end of the week, though they celebrated him on Sunday, by Friday, they will have turned away. No more celebration. They will have turned away from Jesus. Well, it's interesting, um, the way that people often react to Jesus. Last week, we finished the Sermon on the Mount. We didn't cover these last two verses. But after Jesus teaches at the very end, Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were what? Astonished. Astonished is like your mouth is open and you're smiling. And you're like, I've never heard anything like this. This is amazing. The crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Uh, So here's what was going on. The people were used to the scribes and rabbis quoting other scribes and rabbis in their teaching. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, you've heard other people say, here's what I say to you. In other words, Jesus quoted himself. Jesus quoted himself, and the people had never heard anything like that. And so they marveled at his authority. They were astonished. Yet, even though they thought he was probably the greatest teacher they had ever heard, they didn't necessarily commit to his teaching. They were astonished by his teaching, but nowhere do we see that they committed to his teaching. Do you see the paradox? Do you see the paradox of the crowd? 
We see another, we see another paradox in verse 8. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Now, the idea of putting your clothes on the road for the donkey to pass over with the king on top is an act of submission and celebration. If you're going to take your shirt off and put it and get it all muddy, it's a way of saying you're more important than me. Palm fronds were a sign of royalty, and so when they wave the palm fronds, it's a way of submission and celebration over this one who is the king. So, but while they celebrated the king on Palm Sunday during the triumphal entry, they ultimately rejected his kingdom. Celebrating the king, but rejecting his kingdom because... They wanted his kingdom to be one that would overthrow Rome. They wanted his kingdom to serve their purposes. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that his kingdom isn't in this world. It just means that it originates elsewhere. It's not like any earthly kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's a kingdom of love and joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom of justice and love and faith and caring for your enemies. It's all the stuff that we just talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, but the people wanted to repurpose Jesus' kingship to meet their purposes. They wanted to repurpose his kingship to fit their own kingdom. So when they cry, Hosanna, when they say, save us, what they're saying is, save us from Rome. And maybe the challenge is there for us this week that we recognize that Jesus is king but still reject his kingdom here on earth. And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is is that we look to Jesus and go, that's the king, but he actually serves me and my life rather than reorienting my life to his kingdom. So Jesus cares about every aspect of our life. But if if all we see in this is, Jesus, Hosanna, save me from all my problems. Jesus, save me from my bills. Lord Jesus, save me from all my troubles. Save me from my enemies. If that's all it is for us, then we recognize Jesus as king, but we're trying to make him fit into our kingdom. But Jesus cares about all those things. But rather, rather than purposing his kingdom towards your life, he wants you to purpose your life towards his kingdom. And so the people, they celebrate the king, but they ultimately reject his kingdom. When they see over the next week that his kingdom is not about gaining power, rather it's about serving and sacrifice. They reject his kingdom when they see that victory comes through defeat. They reject his kingdom when they, when they see that ultimately life comes through his death. Not only were the crowds astonished without committing, but they celebrated him as king but rejected his kingdom. And even as he enters the city in verse 10, it tells us that the crowds were in an uproar. That's like the city quaked because of what they believed was about to happen as Jesus was entering the city. And there is a challenge for us there. 
A whole city quaked at Jesus' arrival and yet completely missed everything about him. Maybe one of the tragedies of this week would be if we just merely celebrate something about Jesus. We get all excited and worked up, but don't really understand who he is. But don't really understand who he is. They miss everything about him. Because though they celebrate on Sunday, by the end of the week, they will turn away from him. Because ultimately, Jesus hasn't come to fashion his kingship for their purposes. He has come as a king who's going to defeat sin. He's going to defeat death. And he's going to defeat the devil. As he hangs on that Roman cross, and as his blood is shed, and as he's put in the tomb, and three days later as he comes back to life, He is reconciling sinners to God. And his victory comes not in overthrowing Rome. His victory comes in defeating sin and death and the devil. But for the crowds, they'll eventually turn away. But here's maybe the greatest paradox in this story. Though the crowds turn away, it isn't Jesus that pushes them away. As he rides into the city, he understands that they misunderstand who he is. Yet he doesn't push them away. They turn away, but not because he turns them away. What does that tell us about the gracious, kind heart And and maybe even this week, you could wrestle with that paradox. Where have you shortchanged who Jesus really is? And how could this Holy Week expand your vision of who he really is? Even if you misunderstand who he is, he does not turn you away. Rather, he invites you to know him more deeply. He challenges you to see him not just as you want to, but as he really is. The Savior, the Lord, the prophet, the priest, the king, the promised one, the Messiah, God himself on earth. The crowds eventually turn away, but Jesus doesn't turn them away. And he doesn't turn us away. Constantly inviting you and I to ask, who is this? Who is he? Who is Jesus? I want to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I just want to give you a moment to reflect on that. Where did the paradox hit you? Is the the paradox of this king? Is it the paradox of the crowd's response? Take a moment just to silently reflect on those paradoxes before the Lord, and I will close this in prayer in just a minute.
to know you better. We want to understand more fully who you are. May we be invited afresh to ask, who are you? For those who don't know you, Jesus, we pray that you would reveal yourself to them through the cross and the empty tomb. For those who maybe have gotten complacent in their relationship with you or maybe are trying to repurpose you for their purposes, Lord, draw them in with your great love. For those of us that say, I love Jesus more than anything, we want to know you better. We need our love renewed because it so often grows cold. And so we ask that by your spirit, you would refreshen us all. You would give us a fresh picture of who you are this holy week. Thank you for what you did on the cross and the empty tomb. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.